so I had the opportunity this last week to hang out with a lot of real birders and kind of the epicenter of birding at a bird festival down in South Texas called the Rio Grande Birding Festival. And I was in a house with nine other people who were birding. So they, some of them, president of the ABA was there and the woman who runs Birdie Digest and some people who run some festivals a guy has a podcast on birding. It was just kind of, and then people would come every night and hang out at the house, people who did shows or who are artists and did all these different things. And then there's me, the guy who's been birding for 10 and a half months. Now, I'm somewhat of a poser by being there, but I actually have this bigger dream that isn't really flushed out yet. But what I wanted is, you know, before birding, you know, as dramatic this this may seem, I kind of almost died and birding saved me. And so I made this promise to myself to somehow share this story of how finding a hobby by having a doctor who was smart enough to do that instead of giving me drugs, put me on this course to fix myself. So anyways, I tell this story to the different people and they're somewhat accepting to me, right? But there's times where I say stupid like, hey, how many birds do you got, Jason? He's like, oh, 425. And I go, well, I got 355. He's like, oh, I've only been birding six years. Like, I've only been birding 10 months. So I'm the jackass who's got enough money to go around and do this, right? So I know I say some stupid sometimes. And so there's also all this stuff going on at the festival. There's speakers and there's this podcast. And I kind of step away because I kind of feel a little bit too much like a poser. So I kind of sit back at the house and when I don't know what to do, I just cook. So I cooked for everybody and that was great. But as time went on, I got more and more into them and I could see what the inner working of this world is. And I think there's an inner working inside the martial arts world that you're a part of Hardy and you know, that you've been a part of for 20 years. And I've been a part of the cooking world for 30 years and can find my own, but it's been a long time since I've tried to break in something else. And that's a little awkward, you know, and how do you, how do you welcome people? Are you welcoming to the people who come into your world now? Or is there, you know, is there a little bit of hazing? There's, there's, there's a couple parts that I'm thinking of when you're talking, when you're asking that question. One, um, what does it look like for me as somebody in the organization I'm in running the dojo that I run? Like we, we not only like have new people come in, we want, we, we need new people coming in. They're the lifeblood of our school and of the martial art, right? Like if everybody just, keeps going and nobody new comes in, it's ultimately going to die out. And I've recently been traveling to Japan and training with a different group, sort of the same root system, but I'm the new guy again. From, you know, being at the dojo, one, we, we want to welcome everybody. We have a um, sort of a thing that we do whenever somebody comes in that we don't recognize at the dojo, we go up and say, hey, is this your first time here? And that gives them a chance to tell us like why they're in and what they're doing. And, um, we can ask our questions to, to feed off of the answers that they give us. So ultimately we can give them the right information that they need, but most importantly, make them see and feel that it's a safe and welcoming place. Cause we need that new blood. Well, I get that from the customer or the client, but how about from your peers, the people who are actually making money. And that's kind of what it was. I'm in a birding festival and I'm hanging around people who actually make a living off of birding. And that's a, that's a little bit different dynamic. And it's kind of like when I meet a chef or a restaurant owner who owns a place and welcoming them in, that's kind of what I'm getting to. Well, we have a, uh, a, like a dynamic where you've got some people that are higher up in the martial arts and then you get somebody that's, um, not a brand new person starting that we're trying to be welcome, but somebody may be a little bit established, but they're trying to come in and, 
have a voice in the decisions or something. And you always have to question like, what's their motive and what are they trying to gain? Um, if we had a, a group of us trying to set the direction of what the criteria for promotion looks like, and then you get somebody coming in that's like hanging around that doesn't fit that conversation, right? Like they're, they're not even of the rank that we're discussing. Yeah. That was me. That tool. was you, right? <laughs> that was me. The tool that came in and yeah. was like, Hey guys, here, I'm just so, this. so did you, I don't know. It's, it's always awkward to be like, Hey, can you, uh, can you get out of here for a little bit? We've got to have a, a level 14 discussion that you're not <laughs> part of, but like, yeah, that, I mean, they were super welcoming to me, but you could, you definitely just kind of feel that like, you know, who's he's, this guy? What? Who's that to an extent, you know, it was like, I can't say enough how welcoming they were. I mean, it let me in that house and stay for the whole time and go to the, go on bird walks with them in the morning. And it, it was incredible. I, I just loved it, but I'm trying to find my niche in this world. And really the niche is to just share the therapeutic values that I got out of burning with as many people as I possibly can so they don't have to go through the shit that I went through. Wow. Once you were in martial arts and you owned your place, how did you get in with the other owners? Once I owned it, I had a stake in it. I had a dog in the fight, right? So I uh, invited myself into conversations that um, probably were above my level or at least made the people having them uncomfortable uh, so much so that... Um, they probably avoid me now when I'm coming around. They're like, oh, here comes this guy. That's just going to insert himself right in our conversation. But once I had a dog in the fight, I cared. Like, I, I wanted to be there. I wanted to influence policy. I wanted my voice heard uh, when stuff was going on. And martial arts, I and I don't know, maybe it is like this in birding, but, like, there's secret techniques, dude. If you're not around, if you're not around the sensei, if you don't catch him in candid moments, you may, you may never learn the – five point Buddha palm poison strike. You know, you gotta, you gotta be there. Yeah. I think there is some stuff that you learn as you bird and watch these people do it. There's, there's this also feeling of there's so much into the bird and finding the bird and getting out and caring for the bird and for the environment that I'm going, Hey, how about the therapeutic values of birding? And, and I keep bringing that back up to the forefront at every time we talk about it to where they all recognize that. And I can take a conversation, especially with someone outside of that circle and kind of, bring it into that they but, recognize that you're bringing that as a value to birding like you're, you're an asset to birding just because you're coming at it from a different paradigm i, I think they they although they've always realized it is and you have a story with someone about birding a lot of it had to do with something to, for them to get away from their head and it helped them in some way but i'm one that's all i'm really talking about but i've also done it for only been doing it for 10 and a half months as far as they're concerned well how long is he going to do it you know is this just his thing this year is this a guy that's really going to do it? They don't know me enough to know if I'm going to stick with this for 20 years, right? You come at whatever you come at with, with an energy and, an, and a passion. Like, you're a wrecking ball on the scene. I think they recognize that to an extent. You know, this guy's got something, some type of energy. And there's, um, just see where it fits in. I'm just really happy that they allowed me in. Did and, they allow you in or did you just? Well, they welcomed me and they yeah. invited me in. They invited me to go to this thing and uh, share the house and stay there with them. And, you know, we couldn't be more welcoming at that point. It's my own insecurities, like uh, where do I fit in? And that's kind of where I'm getting to in this whole conversation. It's like, it's been so long since I've broken into something. Did you feel like the insecurity that you felt came from them or do you think it was internal? Oh, internal. Absolutely. Of course. I get that. I'll have my uh, my my head martial arts instructor will ask me sometimes, like, well, what do you think? How do you think we should do that? Or what do you think you should be working on at this point? And 
I can offer advice, but in my mind, I'm like, no, dude, you're the, you're the sensei. You got to tell me. Like, I want to get to your, what did you do at this level? Like, I want to do that. All right. Well, the thing that was really cool about the festival for me was all the different, you know, all the different ways that people make money out of this. You know, they all love burning. I think most of them love burning and they tried to find out ways to make a living off of it. We have people who are heads of organizations, people who have magazines, people who have podcasts, people who are artists, people who are photographers, people who sell optics, who people who are tour guides. You also have countries that come down there to promote their countries for birding. It was really, really cool. What all's there? It's like a trade show, basically, for, for birding. Did you see any, like, cool or crazy bird tattoos? Yeah, they're, they're all mostly um, real, realistic tattoos. Um, it was the stories behind them that were Did you cool. get I mean, was... stories from people about the bird tattoos that reminded you of some of the things that birding has done for you in terms of a therapeutic thing? Did people have, like, a... I imagine if you're getting a tattoo of a bird, it had to be like a, a, a defining or breakthrough you moment You know, from that the you people who are showing their tattoos, I don't know that it was really at the same. They all started burning way mostly earlier in life than me. So it has a different meaning, whether it was a loved one who took on birding to one guy who his first experience with a bird was watching a falcon eat a pigeon through his window. Well, was that falcon? It was mostly uh, sweet stories except for maybe the falcon killing the pigeon. but Yeah, but that's that's a cool one, dude. I just finished a book called The Hidden Lineage, and it, uh, the ninja in Japan that were attached to the shogun's courts typically were the shogun's falcon guides because they would, they would go out on long hunting trips with the shogun and have like close access to him. And the falcons were all trained by these guys to take down the carrier pigeons of the, uh, the insurgents in the village and that sort of stuff. So there's like this falcon ninja connection that I just became aware of. Well, this is this guy, Jason Ward's story, who has like a uh, web series TV show on birds where he saw it. And, you know, what was really cool, I went burning one day with a group. It was a group walk, and my friend Jeff Gordon from ABA is leading it, and Jason's one of the other people in there. And Jeff's, there's a roadrunner over to the side, mm -hmm. and he calls it in. It just jumps on a tree right in front of us, right? And then Jason Ward's like, a real-life dinosaur, ladies and gentlemen, right here in front of you. And it, it raised the level of excitement to where I could see if kids got into that, how they would be way way more into going to nature than maybe holding their guidebook I, I i don't know but there was something to that that just stuck with me and made me feel like it was an nfl game and not just some bird walk as you hang on as you hang out with like birding entrepreneurs and birding business people does that you know a couple questions does that get you thinking about the possibilities of that and then at the same time do you have any trepidation about starting a money-making venture around the hobby that saved your life yeah i I don't because my mind's always kind of churning that way. Mine more has to do with uh, I, I definitely looking at this as a business way, but mine's more like, do I really want to make money off of it or do I want to make this my get back? And that's what I'm trying to kind of figure out more than anything. I think because I do have a, a strong business background that I can answer questions for other people about what they're doing and kind of give some guidance for people who are already in this business a little bit, but I'm a little naive about it towards the burning because I look at it and talk to these people like burning's getting ready to bust wide open and be big. And they're like, yeah, we, 
kind of been, people have been saying that for a while. <laughs> and we're saying, well, where are all these birders that they say all the people bird? And I'm like, no, man, you don't get it. It's getting ready to happen. I'm telling you, it's getting ready to happen. And like, yeah, we, yeah, we hear you, but we've been hearing this for a while. So, Tom, with Thanksgiving coming up and you and your new uh, bird hobby, do you have any sort of reservations about eating turkey? I, mean, I freaking love turkey. It's funny you say that, though, because today on Facebook I posted this WKRP in Cincinnati thing from back in the day where they were dropping turkeys out of a helicopter. I don't know if you, any of you watched that where they drive in because they thought they flew. So they were just dropping them and die. they were falling onto the street, onto cars all through Cincinnati. Now, I haven't had any of my birder friends, you know, give me a like on that. <laughs> so I'm starting to feel a little self-conscious about, well, should I be show more heart for the birds? But f- that's funny, man. <laughs> nah, that made me laugh out loud, dude. I, uh, I, I'm familiar with the show, but I never saw that episode. As God is my witness. I thought turkeys could fly. <laughs> now, I will say this. I've been in the woods, and I've had a turkey sort of explode out of the underbrush beside me and launch itself overhead up onto a branch. So I would have been of the same assumption that they could have flown. So I could have been guilty of throwing a turkey out of a helicopter. <laughs> now, I'll be cooking a turkey, I, I assure you. How do you feel about eating ninjas? Man, I hate it, dude. <laughs> Every Christmas, I get like five of these Ninja Bread Men cookie shapes. <laughs> I have so many of them. So it's not gingerbread men, it's Ninja Bread Men. They're doing like sidekicks and they got nunchucks and stuff. But I can't give them away fast enough. That's no exaggeration. That, like, that shit happens every year. <laughs> you guys are both going to get re-gifted a set this year if things go right. I'm a bird watcher, I'm a bird watcher, watching birds go by, fly, fly, fly. I'm a bird watcher, I'm a bird watcher, there goes one now. Tom, tell us about the bird of the day. Oh, I got a good one this time. So when I go down to, to uh, Texas, we're down at that very bottom tip in uh, Harlingen, I think's the name of it, right next to Brownsville. And we have this big house, and we're all living in it, and I bring my stuff in, and I'm going outside to get a little birding in because we're right on this big pond. And when I drove in, I saw there were some Rosetta Spoonbills out there and some egrets and some pretty cool birds. As I walk in the house, they're like, hey, there's a ringed um, kingfisher right out there on the branch. Don't get too close. They're a little sketchy, so they'll kind of, you know, they may fly off. I'm like, yeah, yeah. So I go back. I go in. I grab my camera. I walk by Liz, who told me that. I go by John. I was like, hey, be careful around the kingfisher. He's, you know, they're a little sketchy. They don't move if you get too close. I just walk right up to take a picture, and it flies away. (laughs) And I'm like, he's like, yeah. I told you. And Liz is like, I told you. And then I'm going, you. rookie (laughs) what a freaking clown i was for doing that anyways it's a really cool bird it's a a bigger kingfisher that i could have watched all weekend if i hadn't been a bonehead and walked right up to it when i was a kid we would always like play these games like if you were an animal what kind of animal would you be and one was if you were a bird what kind of bird you'd be and the kingfisher was always the one i picked oh really like the predatory like fish eating water bird yeah they're pretty cool they're a little solitary too they kind of sit by themselves usually see them by themselves you ask me i'm a loner (laughs) a lone wolf they're a really cool bird so i'm in uh, texas trying to fit in with a bunch of birders you're in japan what were you doing there i uh 
kept it kind of a quiet trip. I didn't post a whole lot on social media and stuff like that, but I wanted to go take a test uh, in Japan that I feel like just by what I've witnessed that is probably not going to be available for much longer. There's a, a Godon or a fifth degree test that you can take in Japan by sitting in front of the um, the, the current Soke or Grand Master. And one of, it used to be him, but now it's one of his Dai Shihan or super upper, upper level students will come up behind you with a sword and they'll swing down and they'll hit you on top of the head. And if you are sensitive to the sake, the the killing intention, you should be able to feel that sword coming and move out of the way. A few months ago, back in July, I went and I had the opportunity to take the test and I sat and uh, I'd already sort of passed this test before and I went in super, super confident. But I was in front of a different group of people, and they, they administered the test a different way, and I failed the test. I failed it um, undeniably. You're like you watch, it, It's an easy pass or fail. You get out of the way of the sword, you get hit in the head with it. And I got hit in the head with it, and um, I was super embarrassed. I had some of my friends there. I had a bunch of my friends there, and um, again, I walked into it really confident that uh, I'd, I'd, knock, I'd hit a home run, but I didn't. So I came home, and uh, I, I it never left my brain, and I was really... Uh, obsessed about it and it's not a thing that you can you could kind of practice it but it's not a thing you can practice effectively so I just sat with it and got frustrated and realized that it was my window to take this test was closing so I booked another trip to go so I went back and um, long story short I sat and and was super nervous and was like super tense and I kept thinking I, f- I felt something. It was, you know, it's all indescribable, but I kept thinking like it was the right moment, and I would move and roll out of the way, and it was wrong twice. And I finally sat and decided, you know what? Just let him hit you. Just let him hit you in the head. And for whatever reason, that calmed me down. And from that point of calmness, something said move, and I moved my head, and it was like just barely out of the way. This thing whiffed right by my ear. And it was a super cool success, but my my huge takeaway is like, just stay calm. Just try not to let something get you too excited or too worked up or too whatever. Because you know, you can't perceive anything. You can't make good decisions from this like crazy energy or this super high or super low emotion. There's a, a concept in Japanese called uh, heiki or heijoshin, and it just means like flat energy like the goal is to just exude a constant sort of flat not too high not too low energy which isn't easy for me i'm i'm a self-described artistic or or passionate person like i'm i get really into what i'm getting into so much to the point that i will lose track of what's going on around me and this was this was a huge lesson for me oh i'm gonna take the lesson to like shut up a little more often because i can't believe we almost didn't hear that story that's freaking awesome. If you're feeling down and out, here's a inspiration. The quote for today's Zinspiration is in Japanese. This Japanese saying, Chihayaburu kami no oshiwa tokushini tarashiki kokoro mumuran. The teachings of the gods are infinite, and our righteous heart will protect us. No matter what we're going into, no matter what we're facing, if we're going into it in a, from a righteous position, a thing of servitude, ready to help others and lift others up, we don't need to worry about what's going to happen. It's going to be good.
No, you're allowed to talk about it. Okay. It's gonna, it's gonna sound weird. That's right. Weirder than hanging out with Can't be weirder than Tom, dude. Tom, weird. No, let me hold your crystal flute. Hold the flute, bro. (laughs) No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. It's. I felt weird just saying. Let me hold your flute. All right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna put that at the end of the. I want to be your lead in again. So.